hai radha madhava
ಕೀರ್ತನಾಯಕರು ಭಕ್ತಿ Welcome to all, Pranam. Thanks so much for your presence <clears throat> and your time. Krishna says in the Gita, Kalosh me, so he is time personified. So if you are giving me, me this Harikata, your time, it's basically giving Krishna to others, if you want to put it like that. That's a very generous sharing and a valuable one. So let's try to honor time properly basically that's what we are trying to do in these gatherings we're investing our our time so let's try to honor time knowing that this particular manifestation of bhagavan trying to make us aware that time is passing and that something has to be done with time and there's this famous verse in the bhagavatam ajurharati bai punasham dhyanastan chayanaso tasyartak shatshano nitrautama shloka bhartaya which basically says, with every rising and setting of the sun, 
there's one message given to us and it's that your life is being taken away. <laughs> Unless you are spending your time Uttama Shloka Bhartaya in praising, singing the glories of he who is worthy of all praise, Uttama Shloka. No? So if we are investing our time in the way we are trying to do it here, then for that pe person, time is not passing. Sometimes the example is given of the, of the four Kumars, who stay remain eternally young boys. Sometimes the explanation is because they are in, so much immersed in Harikata from time immemorial that they don't get old. So if you're having some present problems with age or something, you know what's the formula already. <laughs> we are not in the Kumar Sampradaya, but we can follow them in some way or another by trying to invest our time in the best possible way. And again, seeing time, seeing the passing of time as Krishna himself coming to our lives in so many unique times. Not only the passing of time, but again, how we invest how we pass our time, and not only the mere passing of time. So, so yeah, let's give time to each other. Let's give Krishna to each other. That's another variety of of sangha and of prachar. Prachar. Sometimes we may be thinking of prachar means just speaking about Krishna to someone who doesn't know about Krishna. But the ultimately, prachar is giving Krishna to each other permanently. No, it's not that I already have enough dose of Krishna in this life. I don't I don't need more Krishna. So you can give Krishna to others. Everyone is thirsty for that. No? The more we get to know about Krishna, the more thirsty we should become. That's that's kind of the formula. No? We may be sharing about Krishna to those who do not know about Krishna, who those who may not be uh, consciously thirsty for Krishna, although they are thirsty, but unconscious without knowing. But once we get to know about Krishna, once we get to know about the all-attractive, ideally our thirst should grow exponentially. It's not that, well, now that I know about Krishna, I no longer care for Krishna. Technically speaking, that cannot happen. The more we know about Krishna, the more thirsty we should become. Krishna bhakti rasa bhavita amati kriyatam yadi kutopi labyate goswami tatra laulem apikalam mulyam janma koti so the price to pay, I mean, whenever Krishna consciousness is available, as Srila Prabhupada will translate this verse, no matter where that is coming from, you are you have to be ready to pay a price for that. You have to be greedy, basically. That's the word used there, lolyam, which is the adhikar for treading the path that Mahaprabhu gave to us. So here we are trying to increase our greed, our awareness, so to say, of how we pass our time, how we give Krishna to each other, how thirsty we are. So today the idea is to increase our thirst with a particular topic or to hopefully quench our thirst, but that's the nature of, of bhakti. You know? Whatever quenches our thirst increases the thirst eventually. Yeah. What we can do about it. That's the nature of love. Love gives full satisfaction and creates its own need. Yeah. Because when you taste love, uh, there's always way more love to taste. So the prospect is unlimited. So that's the paradox of love. There's this famous, beautiful section uh, in Brihad Bhagavatam Brita, where Sri Narad Moon is asking Krishna a very interesting blessing. <laughs> He's asking Krishna, please let nobody be ever satisfied with divine love. 
give me that blessing. <laughs> Interesting, right? Because generally, again, we are we will be talking today about prayer, right? Yes. Sometimes we will think if to pray to Krishna means to go to him with some petition or some request or some need or some. Hey, Narad Munis is very unique prayer, no? Please, Bhagavan, not do not allow anyone to be to feel ever satiated with your love. No, please give me that blessing and give them that blessing. No. <laughs> so the, the very request may sound strange, but maybe we will we may be even even more surprised by how Krishna replies to that request by Narad. Krishna says, But what are you talking about, Narad? He says. Basically, he's saying, that's already a fact. That's already happening. He, he tells Narada, watch this devotee and that devotee. He starts to enumerate all of them. Who of them are fully satisfied? Where you find that someone who reaches divine love is totally satiated. So what's this blessing you're asking for? That, have, that has been already fulfilled before you ask the blessing. So request another more realistic blessing please <laughs> so that's the nature that's the nature of of love as we were talking the other day with Lokaram Prabhu in the rickshaw you know, the nature of divine dissatisfaction you know? it creates satisfaction fulfillment but it creates some dissatisfaction of I need more of this and this can expand forever that's that's one of the very symptoms of love in its highest developments Rupa Goswami will describe it as anurag and in Anurag, Shishirad and Krishna have been together, united in, in their lila. And after they got separated for, what, 15 seconds, let's say, <laughs> Shirad starts to tell Lalita, she starts to look at Krishna at the distance, who is that beautiful boy with the no? like dark cloud? I've never seen you. Who is, tell me more about him. And Lalita is like, you have been with him in the 15 seconds ago. She's like, no, no, it's not possible. It cannot be the same Krishna. And she's right. It's not the same Krishna. Krishna is more beautiful 15 seconds after. And he's so much more beautiful that at one point becomes unrecognizable. <laughs> Imagine how that works. Imagine being with someone that is already beautiful, but it's beauty, his, her beauty is like growing at every nanosecond. I'm not growing like one millimeter. I cannot recognize the difference. But after a few seconds, like, who are you? No. Totally transformed. And the same from Krishna to Arada. Krishna will ask Subal, who is that girl? And Subal is like, come on, you don't know who she is? No. <laughs> Sincerely, he's not making a performance. So that's the nature of love. Love makes everything evolve and expand without limit. We are and trying to enter into that world, just for you to know, just so nobody, how to say, so you are already cautioned about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we can prepare ourselves from here, where we are now, to approach that ideal in a realistic way. As we talked also some days ago, how to be realistic in, in, in relation to our highest ideals. We have such a high ideal, such a, such a beautiful eternal prospect, but the point is, Am I approaching that goal in a realistic way? Am I am I actually walking in that direction? And if I am, I'm walking at the proper pace. I'm going too fast. I'm going too slow. Not to get neurotic about it, but just to keep a healthy dose of introspection no? and discernment and questioning and 
So we can really walk in that direction. So in that connection today, we want to share a few words about uh, prayer, which I personally is a topic that I consider very important, a favorite topic of mine. I, I again, dedicated the whole chapter in my of my last book, Radical Personalism to Prayer, because I felt this needs its own chapter. I mean, this needs its own book and its own series of volumes, but let's begin with the chapter at least. Uh, so today we'll be talking about prayer and specifically how to, I mean, we will share a few ideas. I don't have any very much organized sequence of topics. Let's see what comes. But, but to talk about prayer, not only as a practice, but also as a state of being. How can we become prayer? I like to make this play of words that I can only do it in English. So when I'm doing Spanish classes, I cannot do this. So I will take my opportunity here now. So, so someone who, as I mentioned in my book, also someone who writes becomes a writer. Someone who cleans becomes a cleaner. Someone who plays becomes a player. And someone who prays becomes a prayer. <laughs> That's the idea. Again, I cannot do that play of words in Spanish. So sorry, Spanish-speaking audience. We will find some way of expressing the same idea. But once that idea came, wow, someone who pray, prayer, who pray, okay. That, that speaks about the very essence of prayer. Prayer is not something that I do, and it always remains separate from me. There is me, and there is prayer. There is me, and there is prayer. It may begin as such, but at one point, oh, I became prayer. <laughs> as, as in the beginning, we may practice bhakti, but still we have this dichotomy of, like I say sometimes, my spiritual life, my material life. Okay, you, you want to create that dichotomy, your choice, your problem. <laughs> Ideally, there's no need to keep those two ideas separate. Ideally, everything can be part of my spiritual life. I don't need to think in terms of spiritual and material life. Or even bhakti, I don't need to think in terms of my spiritual practice and my life and the rest of my life. <laughs> Again, in the beginning, we may have these two categories. Okay, I have my spiritual practice and then I have whatever else is there. But gradually, my spiritual life becomes my life. That's why we call it spiritual life. <laughs> we can say spiritual practice, but spiritual practice has the potential of becoming spiritual life. So one point is my life. It's not that I have a practice and I have a separate thing, a life that goes in another direction, but the two of them have kind of sayuja, submerging. <laughs> When there's no longer a difference. No? My life is my practice. My practice is my life. My sadhana is my lifestyle. I cannot like anymore see the difference between them. So the same with prayer. At the beginning, it's okay, I'm praying. Okay, now this is my uh, whatever. Accorded period of the day to do prayer. So I put my clock and my alarm and I try to pray, whatever. Ring, okay, end of the prayer. Okay, I continue with my life. But the idea is Prayer should be an ongoing state. In a similar way that when we are worshiping Sri Artamurti, the deity on the altar, what, what's, what's the Bhagavatam says what? The Bhagavatam says, <coughs> 
Ekanishta Bhagavat, a, a, a neophyte devotee, will perceive the presence of God in the altar. Or sometimes I say, in their altar. <laughs> if they're a little bit more advanced, Kanishta Madhyam, Kanishta Nuti, okay, in other altars also. I can I can accept that Krishna may be in another altar apart from mine. <laughs> but still they cannot see how the deity is actually in many other places apart from the altar. Still we begin with an hyper-localized notion of God. God is here. Which in one sense is, okay, we have to begin somewhere. Learn to see God in one place. <laughs> But be careful and then don't get in stuck there. And when you take your sight out of the altar, you forget that God is everywhere. So my point is the same way when we are engaging, the, the real fruit of Archana is that not that you over-localize your deity more and more only in your altar, but you are able to extend the presence of your deity everywhere. Other altars, other hearts, other people, every atom, ultimately. That's the vision of the highest devotee. Krishna is everywhere. Every, everything is in Krishna. Krishna is in everything. But it begins in one point. And the proper practice of that, wow, the altar became, everything is in the altar. In the same way we begin prayer, praying, everything becomes prayer eventually. Sorry if it sounds a little bit abstract or poetic or romantic, what I'm saying. But I'm, I mean, bhakti is poetic and romantic. What to, what to do? Uh, so I'm trying to connect how a practice begins, but also how it should develop and unfold. No. We begin in one altar, and then the, 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 the presence of the deity became universalized. Where Krishna is not at one point, it will be difficult to not see Krishna. <laughs> so in a similar way, at one point it will be difficult not to pray, because we enter so much into mm -hmm. that mood, into that state. That is, again, it's a state of consciousness. It's not so much something I do. It begins as something I do, but it matures as a lifestyle, a permanent flow, so to say, in a certain mood. So, again, someone who prays becomes a prayer. And that's the potential of praying. And praying is one of the, of the many main aspects of bhakti that Srimad Bhagavatam is describing. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasivanam, Arjanam, Vandanam. That's in Sakhyamatmanivedanam. So Vandanam means two things. Vandanam means, but there the two are connected. Vandanam means offering obeisances, prostration, and Vandanam means praying, which basically speaks about the two. If I am prostrating, ideally it should be in a prayerful way. It's not just a physical exercise. That was a big challenge when we did the Gordon Parikram because <laughs> if you do it once in a day, okay, that's my daily prostration, so I'll try to pray. But if you do, like, we made the number, approximately we're doing, I don't know how many, few thousand per day. So you, that implies a few thousand prayers per day, no? so that's more challenging. But that, that's ideal spirit, no? not just a body aerobic lying on the floor, but prayer as well. And when we are praying, even if our body is not on the floor, ideally internally we are prostrating ourselves, offering ourselves in service. So today again, the idea is to speak about prayer, I put it prayer in motion, prayer in motion, like how prayer can 
express itself even beyond the limits of the official prescribed day, time per day for praying. And how we can express bhakti through every thought, feeling, and action. Because that's the potential of bhakti. Bhakti is so user-friendly, more than any other path, basically. You know? If you analyze karma, jnana, that's complicated. <laughs> you analyze karma, kind of, if you go to the Vedas and, and how they prescribe how to perform all these yagnas, karma, kanda, and that's very complicated. On the intonation, as you know, if you fail any particular syllable, the result of the yagna is the opposite. Everything goes to hell and <laughs> you have an asura instead of a great, whatever. So many things can happen. The Shastra is showing like trying to discourage us from all that complication. And jnana, that's pretty harsh also. The jnana Sankaracharya prescribed, he will say, if you want to tame moksha, to begin with, you, you have to be a sannyas. That's his standard. If you are not sannyas, you cannot tame moksha. So it begins like preliminary talk about the topic. Are you a sannyasi already? <laughs> Something like that, which is not precisely all-inclusive, let's say, right? <laughs> no. If you count with the fingers of your hand how many sannyasis there are, not doing the thing properly, so it's complicated. So gya and karma, they are complex. But bhakti, by comparison, susukam kartum, Krishna says in the Gita, it's easy. I mean, with this, I'm not saying, because all of you will be, Maharaj, I have my struggles, okay? So I, I don't want to sound like, okay, bhakti is completely, you don't. You have to do basically nothing. I'm not saying that. But by comparison, it's very easy. And plus, we are very complicated ourselves. So sometimes what is relatively easy becomes complicated, but in part because our own complications. Sometimes it's difficult for us to, like this saying once I heard, it says, being happy is simple, but being simple is very difficult. No. <laughs> And that's why we may not be so happy. <laughs> we love to complicate things. So <laughs> the bhakti is so very simple, so simple that sometimes we may like it's difficult to understand that. It's too simple. <laughs> so anyhow, we are in the process of uncomplicating, decomplicating our, our system. But the point is that bhakti is very generous and bhakti is very engaging, and bhakti is very inviting to engage each of our functions body, mind, words, thoughts, feelings, emotions, all of them can be offered to Bhagavan. Every one of our functions is there to... That's interesting how the Rupa Goswami presents it. Atasya Krishna Namadi First he said, through all the senses and all these functions, you cannot contact Krishna, his name, his form. You're like, okay. And then he says, but when you use all those same functions in seva, seva unmukhe, then you can have an experience of Krishna. So that's interesting because he says, with the senses you cannot experience Krishna. And then he second part is, with the senses you can experience Krishna. What's the difference between first part and second part? And the second part, your senses are dedicated in seva, no? trying to be offered for the pleasure of the master of the senses. So bhakti is very, as, as I was talking with Sri Bhatsa Goswami in Brindavan a few months ago, I like how he put, he said, bhakti is very carnal. 
he said. <laughs> carnal is the word? Yeah, in the sense of it involves all our body and functions. It's not something like just it's intellectual and very exoteric and ethereal. It's very down to earth. You can begin wherever you are and all your functions can be. All each pore of your body can be, how to say, blessed by bhakti samskars. You can pour bhakti samskars in all the pores of your sadhaka deha. <laughs> so in that sense, bhakti is very user-friendly. And, and throughout Shastra, we, we, we find many of these descriptions about this triad, as sometimes I mentioned, triad of body-mind words. Tanu ban mano aham tabashmi. This is a famous line. Tanu bak mano. My body, my words, my mind, aham tabashmi. Which means I am totally yours in body, mind, and words. Now, this three level expression is generally used when Britra Surya is praying similarly. And so on. He's speaking about, speaking about Krishna, thinking about Krishna. Serving Krishna with this body. Hmm. Brahma is praying the same way, praying with worshiping Krishna with heart, body, and words similar. And sometimes, as I say, we are a little bit out of sync with these three. Sometimes we have mind thinking something, and whatever we are thinking, we are not talking about that. We say something different from what you think. And then we, we, we do something different from what we say. So now we are a little bit like dislocated. No? <laughs> we think one thing, we talk another one, and we do something different. It's a triple contradiction. <laughs> Krishna still loves us. He's very generous. So he's accepting us unconditionally. No? He's, as, as I, I, I was recently in the US, and I never read that quote. And I, like, I was in the kitchen. And it was a relatively messy kitchen, so I could understand the sign. It says, God bless this mess. <laughs> no? <laughs> so that's a good rhyme. Bless this mess. <laughs> so that's our presentation to Bhagavan. Bless this mess. <laughs> so Krishna is generous and he blesses the mess. Despite the mess we are, despite this contradiction, mind, body, words going in three different directions <laughs> instead of being properly aligned for his pleasure and service. Krishna's already, as I said many times during these lectures, he's already loving us unconditionally, which I think is a very important point as a foundation for what we are talking today, a life of prayer. Because sometimes prayer has to do with, okay, I'm approaching God to request things because we may feel I'm lacking stuff or I'm lacking whatever. But what if I, before even approaching him in prayer, I realized, I'm already fully loved and accepted by God, which that's made, mentioned in Shastra in many places. Krishna himself described himself, I don't know, in the Gita, Suridam Sarvabhutanam. I'm the best well-wishing friend of every living entity. Many verses in that light. So what if instead of approaching Krishna for asking something that I, th I think I lack or that I think I need, which I may not need probably, first be deeply situated in this idea I'm already being fully loved and accepted by God. And it's like, wow, that's, a, that's way more deep and valuable than anything I may think I'm lacking. <laughs> you follow my point? So if you begin with that preliminary foundation, I'm already receiving the gift of Bhagavan's 
unconditional love and acceptance, that will change my whole orientation, how I will approach him. Because if he has already given me such a gift, then the actual question is, how, what, what, I mean, is there anything else to ask, <laughs> basically? Or the only question that remains is how to reciprocate. What can, how can I offer myself in service? No? Like Prabhupada will translate the Maha Mantra, like it's a begging of Krishna, allow me to be an serve, engage me in your engage in your devotional service, like reciprocate to whatever you have already given me. Hmm? So that's a an important point. Hmm? That's that's the only question a servant has, technically speaking. It's, it's stating, the only question a servant has is how can I serve you? How can I please you? Because the servant feels, I already received so much. So I'm not thinking anymore about requesting more things. Because sometimes also we can become addicted to pray for mercy. When mercy already came before we pray for mercy. And we still pray for more mercy. But the question is, what are you doing with the mercy? Because mercy keeps going, flowing. And you still like, give me more, give me mercy, give me more. And like, I'm sending you tons of mercy. And you keep asking me more. What are you doing with the mercy I'm sending? It's not only about begging for mercy, but it's about knowing what to do with the mercy, how to honor mercy, how to make our heart in Sanskrit. This is called Kripa Patra. Kripa Patra means like a vessel. No? A vessel? So Kripa Patra means a mercy vessel. Like a, our heart has to be a proper vessel to host the mercy. Because if Srila Gorgovinda Marshall says, if the vessel is cracked with holes, it can be filled with mercy. But after a few minutes, it's like, mercy, mercy, mercy. Then it's filled again. <sighs> mercy. Oh, give me more mercy. No? Fill the vessel. <laughs> so, so again, once we, we understand Bhagavan is already giving, giving, giving himself to me fully, that's his willingness, his disposition, full unconditional love and acceptance, not, the only question is how to serve. The word kinkara, Mahaprabhu says in Sikshastakam, ayi nanda tanuya kinkaram. Kinkaram translates as servant. But it's interesting if you go to the etymology of the word, kinkaram is kimkara, kimkaromi. Kim means what? And kara means to do. So kinkara means what can I do? Or basically how can I serve? And that's translated as servant. So to be a servant means a servant will have only one question in mind, which is how can I serve you? Because the servant already knows so much has been coming, so much love I have received, I don't dare to ask for more. I mean, now I'm trying to reciprocate in kind. So for me, this is kind of the essence of what prayer is about only, also. Of course, some of us, some, some of you may tell me or even myself like, well, yes, but I'm not on that level. I'm still a, I have, I lack realization of all this, the, the things you are talking about. And I feel the need to ask for Krishna stuff. I will say, okay, Krishna is kind enough to even accept those cases, if you want to put it like that. He says in the Gita, Arta Jignasur, Arta Arti Jnani, Charavaratarshama. So if Chaturvida Abhajantama, no, he speaks about four people who approach him. 
and who start to worship him, but with different motivations. Some of them are wanting some economic development, financial prosperity. <laughs> some others are afflicted, no? some are distressed. And some of them are distressed and they go to Krishna, give me relief from the distress, but then don't maybe requesting, give me the knowledge to change the, the attitude that took me to be in distress. Just give me relief of the distress. When I, I'm relieved, I do the same mischief again. <laughs> and then anxiety comes, please relieve me of your distress. Thank you so much. <laughs> so still it's a little bit exploitative, if you want to put it like that in one sense. But Krishna is generous enough say, okay, we have to begin somewhere. So he accepts that. You know, like the Bhagavad and also says, Akama, Sarabha, Kama, Ba, Moksha, Kama, Udharadi, Tibrena, Bhakti, Jogena, Jayata, Purushampana. Bhagavatam said, whether you have, you are Akama, Akama means you have no desire, Sarva Kama, whether you have no desire, whether you, or you have all the desires put together, yeah, <laughs> or Moksha Kama, or you have the desire, only desire of Moksha, whatever the case you are, Tibrena Bhakti Jogena Jayeta Purushampara, you go to Krishna and worship him for attaining the desires you want. Again, that doesn't mean that there is not a hierarchy of approach and depth. But the point is, even if you are in the worst possible situation, you have the most superficial approach, Krishna says, no problem, come to me with that superficiality. Mm -hmm. I probably will say to some people, you are drinking vodka, offer that to Krishna. It doesn't mean that, again, the Bhagavatam is saying, which we quoted that the other day, Krishna will say to the you can offer what is favorite for me, or you can offer what is favorite for you. For there's a gradation there also. No, it's not like okay. Then from now on, I will just offer to Krishna what I like. The idea, the spirit is at least if if you like something, whatever it is, probably you will eat it anyway, or drink it anyway without offering it to Krishna. So at least make Krishna part of that equation on that stage. You follow my point? Some people say, I will drink my vodka anyway. So Prabhupada will say, at least offer that to Krishna. He's not establishing that as the highest form of offering. He's addressing a particular case where the person will nonetheless drink their vodka anyway. <laughs> so he says, include Krishna in the equation. Make him part of your life on some way. And gradually, of course, by including him, you will get purified to the point of being more concerned about what he likes, not so much what I like, and I include there in my offer what he likes. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a gradual process, and there are different degrees of, of approach. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but ideally, as we were talking, of course, some people may begin their prayer journey with this idea of requesting, God, give me, God, I need, God, I lack God, I'm suffering, relief. And Krishna, okay, he will reply, he will. And when he replies to that also, it's important that we understand, hopefully, the fruit of that, re of that request was not that Krishna gave me what I wanted. The fruit of that request is that I develop more faith in the practice of praying to him. You follow my point? Even in the karma kanda, the Vedas, you have all these rituals and formulas, do it like this, like this, like that. So you obtain 
whatever enjoyment you want to experience. So people do all that following the Veda, and the end result is, wow, they obtained that. But the actual fruit is not what they obtained. The actual fruit is now their faith in the Vedas has increased because they feel, oh, this works. So with an increased faith in the Vedas, next time they approach the Veda with more faith, that, more, that increased faith will help them to grasp better what's the actual intent of the Veda. And gradually they will go to the ultimate purpose of the Veda. Which, of course, as Krishna says, Vedanta Krit Veda Vidivacham, the Gita. I am the one to be known through the Vedas. <laughs> but it's a gradual process, of course, for some. So prayer is the same. Gradually, we realize, in one sense, I don't have anything to request to Krishna. I have all to give, all to offer to myself. He has gave himself so much already. Prayer has a lot to do with that, not so much about Hey, Krishna, listen to me, all the things, all my laundry list. So to say all the things that I need, then you have to... No, no, it's not so much about me being the main subject, talking, talking. He has to listen and respond accordingly to my sweet will, <laughs> which is not so sweet generally. Many times prayer has a lot to do with, again, approaching Bhagavan with the willingness of being of service. Um, maybe sometimes even not talking too much, but listening. Just learning to listen. What do you want from me? What's your will? I'm paying attention. Mm -hmm. Silence sometimes is very important. Srila mm -hmm. Prabhupada in one section, one purple of the Bhagavatam, I don't have the exact, let me see if I, I may be too much to look for the, the section here now. But he says something very interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Prabhupada says, among all the confidential activities of hearing, thinking, and meditating, silence is most important. Because those of you from Anandadam will like that. <laughs> yeah, they organize lots of silent retreats in Switzerland and Anandadam there. So I will repeat again for Trivanga and all the, all the Anandadam crew. <laughs> Prabhupada says... Uh, that's purport to Bhagavad Gita 1038, and when Krishna famously says, among all secrets, I'm silence. Which is a very interesting statement, that, no? From all secret things, I'm silence. No? So you have to enter into silence to catch what is most secret. Sometimes if there is too much noise and volume and things, you can you can capture what's between the lines. And Prabhupada comments, again, among the confidential activities of hearing thinking and meditating, hmm? shravanam, smaranam, and so on, silence is most important because by silence, one can make progress very quickly. Hmm? So, And then the Bhagavatam 7.15.77, I have another quote. The Bhagavatam said that Krishna is he who is worshipped by silence. And of course, with this, I'm not telling you stop speaking forever or nothing like that. Just like Understanding the context of what we are talking now here. Even when we are chanting Mahamantra, we are chanting Japa, for example. It's not all, all, so much about us chanting. No? It's not that I am the main protagonist of the event. No? It's Srinam, hopefully, descending and dancing on my tongue. And me chanting and hearing what's coming and listening, paying attention. Again, silence doesn't mean that I'm not chanting. Silence also means... I'm listening attentively. 
Silence is not so much stop speaking, don't talk, silence. Silence means listen, pay attention. There are many sections in Shastra emphasizing the importance of paying attention. Because if we don't pay attention, we, we will miss so many things that are already coming there, sounding there. So, so in that sense, we, we can approach prayer. Prayer, again, when I say prayer, that can mean chanting Srinam in a prayerful spirit. can be moments of prayer that we just sit in silence. So we present some prayers. Again, we can recite prayers, compose our acharyas. We can compose our own prayers. So many ways we can do that. But ultimately, again, our Gaudiya standard, if you want to put it like that, is more so much, it's not so much of a requesting, but presenting ourselves in front of God. And of course, he's everywhere. But in one sense, we need to enter into some sacred space and time. And okay, here I am presenting myself in front of you and trying to be willing to hear and, and wishing to be of service. How can I serve? Uh, in one sense, even we could say, you don't even need to ask for mercy because mercy is already be, being given. It's not like, because sometimes in our, give me mercy, Krishna, give me mercy. Indirectly, you are telling, you are not giving me mercy. In some cases, I'm not saying every, always, but sometimes we may be thinking, please give me mercy. Please, like if he, he's not already giving you. Again, the, the actual question is, what are you doing with mercy? Or I sometimes say a little bit jokingly, we may have an, how to say, a very like, hmm. we may ask for mercy, but we also have a certain idea of how mercy should look like. That's condition, conditional mercy. Like, please, Krishna, give me mercy in this, 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 and this way. This, this packaging, in this form, in this moment, in that mode, that's, that will be your mercy. So we know better than him, what what's mercy for us <laughs> and it's funny because sometimes we, we we beg for mercy and krishna sends actual mercy <laughs> what we need is mercy but we sometimes are not able to recognize it as such and we will start to pray him for mercy <laughs> so he protects us from the mercy he just sent us a few minutes before and krishna is like what's going on Please send me mercy for, for what? Because I have this terrible situation coming. No, that was my previous mercy. That was my reply to your previous prayer. So don't make a second prayer trying to counteract the effect of your previous prayer. What? That's not praying. No, we don't pray once and then a second time to counteract the first one and then the third one to counteract the second one. Krishna is like, that's a very unique style of prayer. You. <laughs> A little exhausting, I will say. <laughs> for us, and maybe for him. No, do not exhaust Krishna. <laughs> so, yeah. Instead of us, we should yeah, remain open, remain willing to capture mercy, to honor mercy. Sometimes the, the example has been given of the, the Chataka bird or the Chakora bird. There are different mythical birds, but the two of them is similar. The Chataka bird is that bird that did say that he only drinks rainwater. So this bird is only looking up. And his bow, his brata, no? the Chatak brata is 
I won't take anything that doesn't come from above. Even if I'm dying of thirst, I will only drink what comes from above. Like it's symbolically representing this spirit of this is what mercy is. Don't misreading mercy and taking any, anything else as mercy. And the Chakor is similar. Chakor is a bird that nourishes himself by the moon rays at night. So at night where everything is dark, we may be in our dark night of the soul, <laughs> but we have to be as the Chakor. The moon comes there to give light and to give nourishment. As the Gita says, the moonlight is giving umbrit, is giving taste, is giving nectar to everything. So somehow or other we have to, in prayer, enter into this spirit. We are willing, offering ourselves to, in service, but also listening and willing to capture mercy and honor it properly. If it has to come and if it's not coming, it has already came before, so to say. No? But remember, Krishna is an ocean of mercy. So mercy is always flowing from him. Again, it's not something like, okay, there goes a dose of mercy. Now no more mercy. Now mercy again. Now more. That's not Krishna. Again, Karuna Sindhu. Karuna Sindhu means what's an ocean? An ocean basically is a symbol for something that you cannot measure its beginning nor its end. No, it doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end. So it's always flowing. So if Krishna is an ocean of mercy, means his mercy is always flowing. No beginning, no end. We may be able just to capture a few drops now. We may not have that much of an adhikar to capture the whole ocean. That's quite a lot. <laughs> but at least we should remember. I think this sounds basic, but sometimes we may forget. We should remember Krishna is always giving mercy. His mercy is always in flow. It's not that it's just like sometimes... Sometimes not. Sometimes I don't capture that, but he he cannot but be merciful. As we said the other day, God is God does not have love. God is made of love. So if you are made of something, you cannot but be that always. <laughs> if you are love personified, you cannot not love. Because that goes against who you are. That goes against your very constitution, your ontological position. If I'm love personified, I mean, I'm not, I'm giving just an example, I cannot go against my nature. So if, if God is mercy personified, because he's also that, he cannot not be merciful. So during prayer, we should be careful of not projecting this mood of be give me mercy in the sense of Maybe you are not giving me mercy, you are not merciful, and so on and so forth. But how I can prepare my heart to capture that flow, that nectar? And how what, how much do I need to correct my own misconceptions about mercy, God, how he's supposed to reply to my prayers? There, are, there may be lots of misconceptions we need to clear in our prayer attempts. Prayer may be one of the arenas where we may engage in the most embarrassing ways, <laughs> in the sense that we may realize how much we still distrust God, how much attached we are to receive mercy in a certain way. And, but it's necessary also to go through those embarrassing chapters and to understand prayer is not so much as I put in my book. Prayer is not about changing God's mind about us, but changing our mind about God. 
follow. It's not that I will try to praise or I convince Krishna of this and that, or I convince Krishna that I'm not so bad and that he should love me. He already loves you unconditionally. Again, you don't need to convince him of that. He's already doing it. <laughs> it's more about changing my own mind about who he is. Because generally we go to prayer with a lot, big bunch of misconceptions. <laughs> and we need to clear all that. Even in the very act of prayer. Be careful of projecting, I don't know, unresolved parental issues from your childhood and thinking that's Krishna. He's, a, I don't know, an angry male that needs to be appeased quickly because if not, oof, you're in trouble. <laughs> Those things can happen. Not in every case, but that can happen. So it's important that we are willing to get rid of all possible misconceptions about who Krishna is. And don't be so sure that you already read of all of that. The process is so fine, so refined. So many things need to, to be get rid of. So many, I was talking with the devotee recently about how many subtle layers of, how do you call this? What's the expression of fear of God in Latin? Like Teo? Huh? Timia? I think there's another word. There's a term. Yeah, Timion is like, it means fear, but it's a sacred fear. Yeah, no, I, well, anyhow, my point is, there are some, again, no, don't get distracted by that. But then I will, but yeah, the point is, we may think, no, no, I'm not afraid of Krishna anymore. I mean, he's so nice, sweet in the forest of Vrindavan. He doesn't inspire fear. Yes, you are right. But saying that is one thing. And how we enact, how we play out our beliefs and our words, that's very different sometimes. <laughs> Again, we may pray or in certain challenging situations in life, how much do I stay in that, inhabit those concepts? Because we can have, we have so many concepts as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, but we have to inhabit the concepts. We have to live inside that. We have to make them flesh, basically, in Christian terminology. <laughs> and again, we have to remain always willing to hear and be further transformed. Prayer is a process of constant transformation, constant transformation. And that's also a very beautiful prospect, but sometimes challenging. Because sometimes we don't want to change. Let's put it simply. <laughs> we don't want to change. Recently, I was reading some research done, and they say that on a very good day, and this on a very good day, once in a month or something, we are willing to question like 5% of our own ideas. On a, on a very good day, you are willing to question 5% of your Ideas and thoughts and ways of doing things. Generally, it's like, I'm not changing. <laughs> this is me. This is who I am. Especially when you have a whole set of spiritual absolute ideas that you say, they are perfect, they are pure revelation, no need to change anything. And that's pure and perfect, but the way you are processing that, that may not be that perfect. You follow my point? You, you can have the most pure transcendental knowledge, but that doesn't warranty you are understanding that correctly. You are processing that correctly. So that's that can be dangerous. If you give given like a, a book of absolutes, absolute truths to someone not very mature, it's like giving a gun to a five-year-old kid, basically. It's a potential danger. You give someone with lack of capacity 
a Bible, a Bhagavad Gita, they may end up creating world war or some atomic bomb, Oppenheimer quoting the Gita. So, so extreme examples thank you. We can do smaller, terrible things at the same time also with spiritual books. So, so anyhow, the point is prayer is all about the willingness to remain in, trans, in perpetual transformation. As I say before, Krishna is becoming more beautiful at every moment. He's trans, being transformed at every moment by the force of love. So we should be equally willing to that. If not, there is not, we should stop talking about, I want to serve Krishna. I want to go to the spiritual world. Really? You have to play out the implications of going there. And sometimes, and I'm not criticizing, not pointing to anyone here, but sometimes when we play out which are the actual implications of what's going on in the spiritual world, some of us may be horrified. Because that requires such a degree of sacrifice, of dedication, of responsibility, of self-forgetfulness, that at present we may not be ready for that. And it's okay, we can be honest about it, but it, it, it's important that we don't cheat ourselves thinking, yeah, Manjari Bhav, I want that, and yeah, I'm going, yeah, I'm so nice, the gopis. But when you analyze what's the disposition, their psychology, the willingness to give themselves without any thought at every moment, we will like, whoa. I need I, I need a break. I need a, a weakening war or something. <laughs> this is too much. Well, they are not thinking like that. There, they are like increasing their capacity to give themselves. No, so this again, not to discourage anyone, just to be realistic and be open to continue growing. There is a very nice word that I like in Sanskrit, which speaks a lot about this, which is tadatmya. You may have heard the word tadatmya. So tadatmya means, I mean, difficult to translate in one single word, but I would like to transcribe this mystical empathy. Like you identify so much with the other person that in one sense you forget about yourself and you're completely identifying, serving and loving the other person. And this is a principle that happens between, can happen between two people, between one and guru, between Krishna and Radha, between yeah, Mahaprabhu himself is Krishna being empathic with what's going on in Radha's heart to the point of entering there. <laughs> but Tadatmya has to do with this idea of sacrifice. I'm identifying so much with what's going on in your heart that I'm sacrificing my own separate heart for the sake of entering into your heart. And I'm taking responsibility for what's going on in your heart and dedicating myself totally self-forgetful in divine love for what's going on in your heart. So that was going on in the spiritual world, basically, just in case. So you don't say that nobody told me about that. <laughs> mm. That's what's actually going on. Full responsibility, full sacrifice, full dedication, full self-forgetfulness in divine love. And that's beautiful, as scary as that may be in our present stage. <laughs> so sadhana bhakti means gradually we're getting closer to that and bridging the gap in a sustainable way because of course if we just want to jump to an ocean of self-forgetfulness and sacrifice it may, we may drown there we may not be ready for that but also we, we shouldn't cancel that because there's such an important ideal so the question is on what degree can i express 
those same values, sacrifice, responsibility, dedication, self-forgetfulness, mystical empathy, tadatmya. Now, here, where I am. And prayer is about that. It's about trying to identify with the needs of the beloved, trying to put our personal agenda on the side, being willing to change, being willing to be transformed, uh, and asking, Kinkara, what can I do? How can I serve? And the answer will never be the same. I'll try to understand this. If you go to Sri Guru or to Krishna, how can I serve today? It's not the same answer and how can I, could I serve yesterday or tomorrow? Every day, every not only every day. It's not that you are in Golok Brindan and you go in the morning, Kinkara, how can I serve today? Oh, this is your day, your list of daily duties. For more, see you tomorrow. No, I don't know. Love moves in a crooked way, which means it's completely unpredictable. So at every movement, unpredictable movement of love, there will be so many new service necessities and everyone and everything will be accommodating to honor and serve that service necessity at every step in eternal life. So we should gradually prepare our heart for that. And prayer is basically about that. Daily moments, hopefully start as daily moments and gradually extend and expand throughout the day, throughout our lives. And we, we, we enter into this sacred place, sacred space of remaining willing, open for transformation, offering ourselves in service. <clears throat> and again, offering each of our functions in that connection. Work and, and prayer are not different. In the beginning, there may sound different. At one point, prayer is our work. Our work can become prayer. It's not, a, oh, I'm cleaning the bathroom. This is not prayer. It can be. Everything has the potential to become prayer, even ourselves, as I said. Someone who prays becomes prayer. <laughs> so anyhow, some thoughts I want to share today with you in, in connection to the topic of prayer. Of course, so many more things we could say. It's an unending. Each each point we touch on this infinite line of Harikata is in itself an ending. So we're just touching something today, hopefully being sprinkled by some realizations and inspiration. And let's spend some time if you have questions. But Trivanga Prabhu lift his hand first. So please. Thank you, Maharaj. Very nice. Thank you. Well, you and Ananda Dhamma are to blame for inspiration in, in prayer to all of us. That's a very powerful hub there. It's a very beautiful place in Switzerland, in the Alps. To my credit, it's the other. <laughs> and I was uh, meditating a few years. I started a few years before I met the devotees. I started meditating every day. And uh, then I met the devotees. And uh, when I saw them doing japa, my, my question is about japa. Mm. I was shocked. I found it actually disgusting and I, I, I wanted to run away. And I, I have seen many, many people that came to the temple very sincerely. Mm. Uh, and they saw this and they never came back. Because it's, it, they were running up and down and or, or, or somewhere, just sitting somewhere. And, Samadhi. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this, these two extremes, 
And I'm still struggling with that. Mm -hmm. um, so I tried uh, many things. Uh, I tried to not chant anymore any fixed number of rounds. I don't recommend to anybody with this works one of my experiments. Mm -hmm. Just a, a fixed number of, of time. Time. I was spoiled in the same because I was having this habit finish my rounds. Mm -hmm. Counting. Yeah, counting, yes. And it was very uh, counterintuitive for, for my prayer life. And mm. um, so, then, yeah, honestly, I'm still struggling with this. I still find my own chanting sometimes not not very prayerful and uh, not, that it's not relishable, and that's, uh, that it's okay. It should not be for my pleasure. Mm. But I, I really, I, I really doubt that this is really the best I can do to have my relationship with Krishna. Mm. So sometimes between my mantras, I, I, I stop and I, I start to pray in my own words, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and then I continue again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to hear your your opinion. Mm. On that, yeah. How how can I how can my japa be more prayerful? Mm. Well, thank you for sharing your testimony. Um, <laughs> struggles because again, but is the point is it's not only you. Also, mm. that also helps each of us to say, well, we are in the same club. It seems on one level or another, and of course. It's not bad to have a struggle again in all scripture. Yeah. You, you, I mean, Rupa Goswami and Padre Shambhita here and there, they are addressing you will have struggle when you don't have taste. This they know that this will happen. It's not like, oh, you're struggling. Whoa, I'm so surprised. Why? No, <laughs> I mean, they know that will happen. It's part of the journey, of course, not to normalize it to the extreme of saying, okay, that will be like this forever, so I don't need to change it. That, that's what it is. No, but to acknowledge it's part of the journey. Uh, here I'm not telling people what to do. Each one has to consult that with their own consciousness, guru, Vaishnav, sadhus, whatever. But I, I, I've heard a few devotees, not only you, it's not the first time I've heard about chanting, not counting the rounds, but counting the time. And I did that myself also. And, and that helped also. But... The point is that you end up chanting the same, the rounds you, you will count, because I know how much it takes me to chant one round. Mm -hmm. you know, it takes 10 minutes to me, approximately. Yeah. So then I, okay, if I want to chant 16 rounds, I will chant 160 minutes, which basically I'm chanting the same quantity of rounds, but without yeah. this. Exactly. No? So, so that creates, and, and, and again, I'm not breaking my bow or my number. Mm -hmm. I'm just approaching it from a place where I, the counting side is not so prominent. Yeah, and which I understand why you do it, because many times we get entangled into, mm. as I make the play of words, counting and not chanting. Yeah. Because it's chanting, it's not counting. As I always say, at the end of the day, it depends on which is the state of consciousness we reach, not how many chant rounds we chanted. Nobody will ask us how many rounds you chanted mm. at the end of our life. It's not like... Fill in how many rounds, no? 
कृष्ण से इसने गीता वो जम जम भापिष्मराम भवाम चयान त्यंते कलीवरम सो वो मैटर्स इस योर भावा 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 मींस इन इन दिस केस योर योर मूड योर इंटरनल स्टेट एंड दैट विल डिटरमिन वेर यू गो इन द नेक्स्ट लाइफ दैट्स एन इम्पोर्टेंट पॉइंट बिकॉज़ समटाइम्स आई सीन द बोल्स आल्सो दैट I know they are practicing or chanting in certain way, and their inner state, their bhava, is in certain place. But somehow they feel, but when I die, I will be transferred to Golok Brindava. Mm-hmm. And I like, but if you are not already there before dying, somehow, as a state of consciousness, you won't be transferred there. Krishna is not so cruel that he will send you to a place that you don't want to go. <laughs> And if you tell me, no, no, I want to go, but if you want to go, then in this lifetime, you will be getting closer and closer there. It's not that because of dying, there's a change of bhava, of inner mood. Dying is a change of cloth, a change of body, not a change of bhava. You follow my point? So we, should be, we shouldn't expect a miracle. So to say, oh, I live my life in a mediocre way, but somehow Krishna will make some magic and he's merciful. That's an abuse of the idea of Krishna is merciful. You follow? I mean, because we we could be doing something more, and right? we are not doing it. We are doing not doing that on the plea of He's merciful, so He will do some magic at the end. I will be thrown into Golok Brindavan. <laughs> but if you do not demonstrate in this life that you want that, Krishna again is not cruel. He won't send you to a place you don't want to go. So that on one side, of course, <laughs> that's not your question, but in connection to that, and. Uh, And I will say, of course, there is no magical formula. I'm, I'm not here trying to. Okay, I will share with you the real thing, and this will work for every one of you in the same way because each one of us is individual. But as you mentioned, for some it helps praying in between. I mean, chanting prayerfully. But if you feel that's lacking, sometimes you can pause and like re realign with what's going on, what I'm supposed to be doing here, <laughs> instead of like. It's not a gun machine like like trying trying to go and maybe chanting slowly and hearing as for some it will help maybe chanting more mentally or some will help more verbally. You have to test and see what works better for you. You know there there is there's not this one single way of doing it. Of course, it doesn't mean you can do it in any way you want, but there are enough. Options. I've seen the devotees even help them to to read the Mahaman, to chant yeah. and and see. So again, there are so many ways. You no, know, there are many verses in Shastra which glorify the name. In Argentina, I remember in the ashram we had a how do you call this? Like a like a treasure chest throw. Yes. How do you call it? treasure chest? And we have printed like 108 quotes from Shastra about the glories of the name. And they were all like in. Papers like this, so we will like. So we 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 will have that if you were chanting something, you have the treasure chest there. So at some point, if the mind was starting like to oscillate, like, one minute. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> to remind yourself of what's this, what's this name, what I'm doing here. You follow. So again, you have to be creative also. Cre- yeah, one has to be creative. One has to be intuitive also to feel. What's working for you? What's not working? Because you can see someone else doing something like, I don't know, I'm reading the Mahamantra. It's working, and some others, it's not working for me, and it's okay. So find a way <laughs> it works. And even I would say, 
try also to understand that for every devotee, their main expression of bhakti will be different. So some people will find more connection with other angas of bhakti than japa. I mean, I have nothing against japa, of course, but I'm just saying, I mean, Pariksit Maharaj attained perfection. He didn't chant one round. He didn't chant one round for a whole week. <laughs> he was just listening. And he attained perfection by listening. Sukadev Goswami attained perfection by speaking, by Kirtan. That's how it's described. Here's the Kirtanakya Guru. But his Kirtan was speaking the Bhagavatam. He was not doing Kirtan with instruments or with Japa, loud voice. He was just talking Bhagavatam. So again, with this, I'm not saying cancel your Japa, find a, but I'm just saying some devotees will feel affinity to our other expressions of bhakti more. And, and, and if you feel that natural call, that's also blessing of Krishna, so to say. Like when Rupa Goswami described the 64 angas of bhakti, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, he will mention examples of people attaining perfection, but each one of those, some of them will be dancing in front of the deity in the altar. He gives this example of Chandra Kanti, a lady who danced the whole night in front of the deity, and she attained perfection after that night. Again, who can do that? And that that's another thing, but the point is that's given as a reference point that that's possible. And I know what's who like to dance a lot. So I encourage them, well, make that part main part of your sadhana. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we may not be created enough as to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. No, how can I make dancing a part of my sadhana? Well, Rupa Goswami did it. He put dancing as a part of his sadhana, of sadhana, 64 hours. You follow my point? Yes, yes. Which doesn't mean stop japa. It's just like something becomes more prominent. And at some stage, something may be more prominent. At some other stage, something else may be more prominent. Some thoughts, I don't know if something Thank of that you. helps. Very, very Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Who else raised their hand? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> when we are becoming weak in our character or whatever, that we want to be transformed, Krishna transformed us. It's just a superficial uh, attitude. Because when Krishna sends some situation to drag it from us, we kind of repel that situation. And we are like, oh, what is this? And we, we are repelling repel from the things that instead of going through that transformation, mm -hmm. how do we stop superficially wishing for transformation and really go through transformation when Krishna is sending us? How mm -hmm. do we recognize that? All these how questions, which are almost like 95% of the questions I receive, how to do this, how to get that, how, I'm not condemning the questions, they are correct, but there are many of how, Maharaj, how to do that. How to, and I was, many of the how to questions also get, start to be resolved or answered by understanding what gets in the way of, of the how question. So I'm asking how to, whatever you feel. Maybe you ask yourself, what is getting in the way of this thing I'm asking about how to do? No? And I cannot reply for you what gets in your way, but it's an invitation for introspection. 
No? So I'm thinking, in your case, I'm praying for Krishna superficially. I'm so why I'm praying superficially? What gets in? Do I want to be transformed? Why do I don't want to be transformed? Why I, I, I run run away from Krishna's reply to my prayers? And, and sometimes we don't want to ask that too much because it may be painful to know the answer. To <laughs> it may be embarrassing. Uh, but at the same time, again, it, it, it will be, and it may be unbearable if we are too attached to a certain image of ourselves. Like we want to be nice devotees and perfect. You know? And when you start sometimes to analyze some of your motivations, you realize, oh my God, I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> but again, at the same time, Krishna is loving me unconditionally. Again, you have to put all all the things together because if we over identify with our anarthas you get depressed you get suicidal because you, you you may see certain things that still are lurking there and it's like oh my gosh i'm a hopeless case period <clears throat> and we lose sight of krishna's mercy is more powerful than all your anarthas but together <laughs> but i have to be introspective about what's getting in the way that's what Mahaprabhu is showing in the second verse of Sikshastakam very exemplarily. When he said, Durdaiva Midrishami He appreciates all the mercy of Bhagavan. That's a good, very nice verse. I like the structure of the verse. Because those are, and that's verse, the second verse of Sikshastakam represents Anarthani Vritiam Bhajana Kriya. So basically, that verse is showing the spirits with through which we can navigate that stage that most of us are in. So what does Mahaprabhu say that? The first three lines of the verse, he's showing an appreciation for the mercy of Krishna. And the last line is showing repentance for his lack of taste for that, for that mercy. No? First three lines, Nam Namakari, Bahuda, you have so many names, Niyajarva, Saktis, all the Shaktis are in your names. There are no hard of fast rules to chant these names and so on. Your mercy is such a thing. But, <laughs> and then comes the introspection part. I don't have taste for that. So then he enters into the chamber of introspection. Why I don't have a taste for that? What's getting in the way of that? Which are the anarthas? Let's make the list. In my particular case, it may take time to enter. We may not want to enter there, but we should in the spirit of service. I want to make, make that clear so I can really work on this consciously. And, 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 and even if I need to pray for that, okay, make that a prayer. Once I devotee to say that, it was nice. He said, do you want to have a realization of, of Krishna's in your life? Okay, try to detect something that is getting in your way and then pray to Krishna to help you with that. And, and then be ready for the reply. Huh? And, and that's Krishna giving you a rally, say, but you have to be open for that. So again, I cannot reply to you what's getting in your way, but in general, I say most of us are terrified about changing. But life is about changing. That's the good or bad news. <laughs> Spiritual life in particular is all about change, permanent transformation. But many times, and love is about that. I mean, love, if you love someone, you are transformed by that love, by that relationship, but that you are no longer the same person that you were 
before being in love with that person, whether it's even here, you know, with your wife, with your child, it's before and after. No, it's a different version. <laughs> so love transforms us. The point is how willing we are to be transformed. Because if we resist change in the context of love, it will make everything fail, so to say. And this is all about love, which means it's all about change. So <clears throat> again, it's a gradual process. I have no magical formula, magical pill for us to swallow and okay, that's it. But it invites us, as we were talking the other day, to, we may fail a lot. We will, we should probably, we need to fail. But as we said the other day, failure is not bad. Failure can be ideally humbling. So we will have our moments of inspiring hope, and our moments of humbling failure. But it's two sides of the same coin. I mean, it's not that one goes against the other. Inspiring hope, humbling failure. Actually, the two should be humbling. Inspiring hope will be humbling as well. And failure will be humbling. Each of, each of them will invite us for a certain reflection. If someday you are filled with inspiration and enthusiasm and hope, that should also invite you to be introspective and, and appreciate what's going on here. What's the nature of this experience and this gift? And when you're going through uh, humbling failure, <laughs> that's also a special invitation to be introspective. You know? What I have to learn from here? What is getting in the way of my... And if you are honest and sincere, the only result of that will be you will be increasing your longing and your the intensity of your prayer. I want to serve you. I want to give myself. I want to be allowed to change. But this is getting in the way. But I want that. But this is getting in the way. And in that churning process, you are growing in prayer. You are really getting closer to your goal. So, <clears throat> so that that's the very way we, we overcome those obstacles, basically. Yeah. Some thoughts, I hope that helped. <clears throat> yes. mm -hmm. yeah, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in an environment where prayer was very much encouraged, like expressing things to God and mm -hmm. gratitude. And I've always been very confused about it. And to be honest, I never really solved the issue that I had with putting words and prayers, using words with God in general. Not that I don't do it, but when I do it, I see it more as a almost like a sacred psychological exercise, I call it. Mm -hmm. In the sense that if God is omniscient, we usually use words to inform someone about something that the person doesn't know. Mm -hmm. So whenever we use words with God, in one sense we're talking to ourselves. We're telling our, I mean, that's the way I view it nowadays. It's like we're telling ourselves, be open to whatever comes. But it's not that we can inform God of anything, right? Mm -hmm. Even you said asking for help, but it's not exactly the way it works, right? Because God knows whatever we need. Mm -hmm. So even when we're asking yeah, something, yeah. we're kind of telling ourselves, you need that. So mm -hmm. be open to it. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to check if my vision is mm -hmm. completely wrong or is mm -hmm. this, you know. Oh, no, it makes sense. And I agree. Yes, because, of course, if, you play the, if we play the omniscient card, God knows already everything. One sense, there's nothing we we need to tell him, <laughs> but we need. He doesn't need us to remind him about what he knows, <laughs> but we need to 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 remind ourselves of, of where we want to be, not to to 
to state our, to make a statement of which is our uh, desire, our, our will. I mean, the relation still, that God is omniscient doesn't mean that he's deciding for us. Because if not, we wouldn't have any will. No? It's, it's like like this, I don't know the name now, it's going to my mind, but this, you have this like tool to measure the weather. So the tool will, will know in advance what weather is, is there, but it doesn't mean that the tool is determining which is the weather, what the weather will be like. It's just knowing about it. So in the same way that Krishna knows about us, it doesn't mean that he's determining that. So the point is that there is a part for us to play, you know, because if not, again, what's the purpose of existing without will, without, there's no love, there's no voluntary choice. So yeah, those things that, as you mentioned, help me or this or that is more like a, ultimately goes back to ourselves to remind ourselves in which spirit we should present ourselves to him. And ultimately, sorry, like voluntarily offer ourselves in service that, that's something we have to do, so to say. No, again, he already loves us unconditionally, so the remaining part is we doing our part of the equation. Basically, he cannot do that for ourselves. No, that would be just like too much. No, don't, don't pray to Krishna to please reciprocate with yourself, so I don't have to do it myself or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Second part, sorry. Yeah, the second part was if so if if it's. Um... If this is almost like a, a sacred psychological exercise and praying, like having a dialogue, but at the end of the day, it's almost a dialogue with our inner selves, and we're just trying to offer this dialogue to God in one sense. But also, it's listening to Him. Remember. Yeah, but is it? Exactly and in that sense, it's a dialogue. If that's the listening part, maybe it's only silence and service, isn't it? Like it would be the real prayer. If the, if the goal is prayer, of prayer is to be as much in touch as possible with God. This will happen more in complete silence or like contemplation, as the Christian said, or service, no? Like without words, because again, when we use words, in one sense, we're talking to ourselves. We don't avoid this. It's like a, a loop, you know? Mm -hmm. We think we inform someone. We play this role in one sense. But when we keep silent and we just, whether act in service or just trying to, we're trying to face what reality is, mm. as Krishna, of course, then this would be some of this would be the real prayer, prayer, isn't it? I mean, not real in terms of I want to do hierarchy or anything, mm -hmm. but my yeah. point is whenever we talk and we express things, it's difficult to acknowledge. And I had very animated conversations with Christian people about this, but I feel it's the, it's a fact that we, we're somehow trying to speak to ourselves and like remind us where we want to go and how we want to go. And mm -hmm. but then the best way to reach out and be in touch with God, in one sense, would be to completely turn off all the lights and words and everything and us and just be willing to hear something if there's something to hear. And that doesn't sound very practical the way I say it. Yeah, I wouldn't say there is only one way to do that. I wouldn't say this is the only the highest. I mean, we have, as we know, there are different ways uh, because we are also using the expression serving God. And, but also so many ways that can happen. We have so many great saints who are serving Krishna in their inner internal bodies and external, they are just sitting in the same place for the whole day. And it seems like they are not doing any service. <laughs> and probably those saints that are living in a hole in a cave that nobody knows them, they are 
their dedication is bigger than so many others. So my point is not just one. Well, of course, a saint of the same caliber may be inspired to serve in a more outwardly way, so to say. And I'm not saying that's higher, lower. It's one is inspired in certain ways. So yeah, I, I personally don't feel that there is like only this one. I mean, when we are chanting the name of Krishna, ideally it's not even so much telling Krishna again what he should give me or anything, but it's just uh, calling directly his names, hmm? uh, calling him. I need, I mean, of course, I need to call him, but I'm calling him. It's like a relationship also. No? I choose to call you, and, and I call you to offer myself to you in a certain way. So it's a, how do you say in English, a statement of principles or something, like when you are setting out the, your principles, yes. mm -hmm. setting your intentions. So, again, it all depends so much from which place uh, we are doing all that. So you can have people, yeah, just in deeply inside a world of contemplation, some other very engaged in the world with other people. So many ways of finding God, serving him. I mean, yeah, sure. So even the calling thing, for example, you usually call someone to get the attention. Mm -hmm. You can't do this to God, mm -hmm. literally speaking, right? So when you say calling, I just want to I, I think it's very interesting though, mm -hmm. because we, we all pray, mm. you know, in different ways. Mm. And I'm not trying to put anything no, lower no. or higher. I'm just saying, even when we say I'm calling, who are we calling exactly? Are we calling our, ourselves to be more open, or we actually think that we? Because you're trying you have to, catch, to you have to ask each person separately. <laughs> and it's said in, in Prabhupada says this a lot that like you have to. Shilamaraj also says that you have to. Like the child with the father. No, get Krishna's attention. Mm -hmm. you know, but again, this is a it's a metaphor, right? How can it be possible? I mean, how not to, how how like implying that how could how could he not be aware of where we are or something? Yeah, that's a very human way of seeing things, right? The mm -hmm. person is doing his own stuff, and you need to, you know, like hey, hey, I'm here. You know, mm -hmm. you need to, like, yeah, but it, but even we could say even if if we could say. He's omniscient, so he, he doesn't need to be attentive because he already is. <laughs> it doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play, because if not, if you fully play out the ideas of him being omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent, that may paralyze us also, in the sense that I don't have anything to say, to do, because he already... And that's another layer, if you want to talk it in that term, which, which we will say, Gaudiya Vaishnavas in particular, will start to talk about Krishna in the Leela, where he's still omniscient, but his omniscience goes to, to the background, and he becomes muktata, in the words of Vishwanachakuartitagur. There is sarbhagnyata, there is omniscience, but he becomes bewildered by the strength of Lila, and he doesn't know things. <laughs> and ultimately we, and again, it's inconceivable because he remains being omniscient, but generally his omniscience goes to the background and he's moved that he bewildered side. And ultimately, we are addressing that form of God, if you want to call it like that, no? Or the source of God, if you want to put it more specifically. I'm not sure if it's ever last. Let's see. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> you never know. If you're done. But then, more of a practical question if, if I spend, or if anyone spends like, Five hours in a row just 
just simply meditating on the omniscience of Krishna, mm -hmm. does, does this can be counted as a prayer in one sense? Like, is this a form of prayer? Because some, one devotee told me this is Gyan. You know, you're falling into Gyan. I, I couldn't understand. Because as a former, whatever, not former, but I grew up as a Christian, and I, I, was, a very, I was very close to some monks, and they can spend a whole night just sitting and taking like the omniscience of God and mm -hmm. just bring this in their mind, heart everywhere, and just, you know, no word, no nothing else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Someone told me this is kind of Gyanic uh, process. Mm. What do you think about this? Can, because I feel this is my favorite kind of prayer in one sense. Mm. This is what is most spontaneous for mm -hmm. Again, the reply is it, it depends. I won't label that as Gyan immediately because Krishna himself in, in so many sections of Shastra speaks about his all-knowingness, his omniscience. So, I mean, if he speaks about that, it, I, I assume it's, it's a nice thing that we can think about. Of course, depending on which stage one devotee is, that type of meditation will be more or less conducive to their to their inner life or inner bhajan, no? Because if a devotee is to give maybe an extreme example, but a devotee is extremely engrossed into the lila and, and in, in, in the conception of Krishna as the lover of Srirada and, and to bring too much his omniscience into the picture may may disrupt the flow of that. But again, this is a very high advanced level but on some other levels to be aware of Krishna's omniscience which is more of the Aishvarya side so to say instead of the Madhurya it's important to lay a foundation of Aishvarya and understand that on top of that Aishvarya there is Madhurya there is intimacy so in certain cases that that may be favorable of course I'm not saying that to like replacing all your other sadhana given by your guru but it's not a unfavorable meditation let's say no or oh, you are thinking about krishna's omniscience that goes against the laws of the lila in brindavan nobody thinks that he's omniscient yeah i agree but yeah we cannot just imitate that because if if you are to apply that fully there are so many things that we are not doing that we are doing that we should we won't be doing there so we have to also be <laughs> realistic and understand yeah the Madhuri of Raj expresses itself on the foundation of Aishvarya. That's a very important point made in Raghavarma Chandrika, Vishwanacha Vrindavan is the place with the most Aishvarya, more than in Vaikuntha. But it's all in the background. <laughs> so for us to enter into that kingdom, what Aishvarya is there, we need to go through the Aishvarya chapter to have clear how Krishna is God. So someday we forget that Krishna is God. <laughs> That's how it works. That's how the Bhagavatam is building its whole case. It doesn't start with the 10th canto in Vrindavan. It keeps all the ideas, Krishna is too, Bhagavan, Soyam, how Krishna is the source of all forms of divinity and all these avatars and this Aishvarya and eventually Vrindavan. But in context. No? And then after the 10th canto, 11th canto, lots of Gyan. <laughs> But not jnana, something bad. Um, Uda is a devotee also. So 11th canto is to make sure that I understood the 10th canto correctly. No? Because 10th canto is mostly, not mostly, but half of it mostly Krishna Lila, Raja Lila, then comes Mathura, Dwarka, but Krishna Lila. 
Ninth cantus to prepare ourselves for for Krishna Lila, Krishna Lila, and then two more cantus at the end to make sure we didn't mess it all up and misunderstood everything. That show and, and lots of Aishvarya in between, and even in, in when Sukadev is narrating the Krishna Lila, he's invoking Aishvarya in between to remind us mm -hmm. or Parikshit this is not ordinary. Rasa Lila, the five chapters of the Rasa Lila, first verse. First words of the Rasa Lila, the highest, the most madhurya like section. First words, Bhagavan. Bhagavana Pitara tree. Bhagavan, to make clear. This is Bhagavan, the one who has all the opulences, this is performing this apparently you know, womanizer like misconduct. Bhagavan. Last verse of the Rasa Lila, just to put in context, Bikriditam Rajavadhubiridamcha Vishnu. He refers to Krishna as Vishnu. Of course, different acharyas say different things about why Vishnu, but one of them is making the connection. Vishnu is an, a portion of Krishna. But this is God. No? Again, this is not just a boy, ordinary boy playing with girls, ordinary stuff. No, no, this is supremely sacred. So again, this Aishvarya is present. There is a place for the Aishvarya even to nourish the Madhurya. So, and that's how the Brajabasis deal with that. Even if the Brajabasis become aware that Krishna is God, sometimes that that sense of awareness comes, but that that nourishes their madhurya with Krishna. That's their psychology. Whatever you put on their way, it nourishes their in intimacy with Krishna. Vishwanathakaritakur gives the example of boiling milk, and he says it's like if you put one straw in, in a pot of boiling milk. So this boiling milk is the maduri of the Brajavasis, the love of the Brajavasis, condensed, thick and boiling. And the Aishvarya is like the straw. You throw it there, disappear. Still there, somewhere, but you cannot see it. Somehow, casually, it may come, but it doesn't affect the boiling. The love of the Brajavasis keeps boiling. As we gave the example of the Govardhan Lila. Krishna lifts Govardhan, that's pretty Ashvarik. Five-year-old boy lifting such a hill, and you start to doubt, who is this? Is he my child? Is he my friend? Is he God? But Brajavas only see new opportunities of service. No? Krishna must be tired, let's massage his arm, let's give something to eat. No? Who's helping with some sticks? He must be... <laughs> All their, in their psychology, their intimacy just increases. They cannot think he is God. It's not. It's not in their in the radar. No? So, so in the same way, somehow, okay, we are. Whenever we as Gaudiya Vaishnavas in our stage may connect with the Ashwarya side, okay, meditating, Krishna's omniscience, omnipresence. It's not forbidden, but in the context of our ultimate goal, also, no? it's, it's good not to lose sight of who is our ultimate deity. And try to connect with this omniscience and omnipresence in a way that adds charm to that ultimate prospect. Even when you read about Krishna Lila, you remind yourself, wow, this is full of omniscience, omnipresence, Aishvarya. And, and despite that, wow, it shows such simple and charming and beautiful, exactly because it has all this Aishvarya in the background. Mm -hmm. It's pretty Aishvarya, Vrindavan. Every tree is Kalpa Briksha, all the soil is Chintamani. All the cows are Kama Denu. That's Aishvarya, Aishvarya, Aishvarya. 
But more of, on top of that is nobody in Brindan is interested in asking anything. They will go to some Kalpa Briksha just asking for fruits and flowers to offer to Krishna, basically. They don't even to ask. The, the, the trees will just offer that. If it's an apple tree, but the Brajavasis need a mango, the apple tree will give mango. It is described. No? They, they will, the fruit they need, it's facilitated. <laughs> okay. So we're almost two hours. Something else, Rugai? One, one last question, yeah. At the beginning of your talk, you mentioned how it's not necessary ultimately to make a distinction between material and spiritual life. Mm. So I, I was wondering, like, there's some things that seem explicitly material, like, I don't know, sports or games or even like a job, or maybe even a job that you hate that doesn't really seem connected to Krishna at all. So should an attempt be made to connect such things to spiritual life or to consider such things spiritual seems uh, complicated. <laughs> Not impossible. <laughs> of course, if you tell me, Maharaj, I'm working as a, a paid killer, I will say, well, that may get in the way of your bhakti project. No? <laughs> I, but in general, I will say, as you mentioned, some, I, 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 I agree that we may be doing, having elements in our life that we don't feel, okay, this is the most ecstatic thing, this is super devotional, no. But again, be creative how I can create some link in which whatever thing I'm doing that doesn't seem too spiritual can end up being connected somehow to something spiritual. Like the example I give of Prabhupada, offer your vodka to Krishna. No? So drinking vodka is not the the highest sadhana, <laughs> but put Krishna there and somehow, again, not as an excuse, but for someone in that situation, okay, let's connect that. Like I remember once I was talking with a friend in Argentina, he said, like we were talking about this, he said, well, I'm working. And I asked him, so why you're working? I like playing to him, with him. I'm like, why, why to work? <laughs> I say, well, to earn money. But why to earn money? And he was like, well, to maintain my family. And I didn't, and why to maintain your family? He didn't expect that extra question. And he was like, oh. And, and then he, the answer came to him, I'm maintaining my family as a service to Krishna. And they are Vaishnavas, so I'm serving them. Okay, so there you establish a connection between your work, money, all things that sometimes we may see, that's material, I don't like my work. And... Krishna, service to Vaishnavas and Krishna. So we have to be expert in, in linking whatever we are doing. So our conception is properly fixed and that creates a certain result because it's not so much what I do and I don't do, but how, how capable I am of connecting all that in a proper way. Of course, that's not the same. That's what Jiva Goswami calls Sangha Siddha Bhakti, which is activities which are not bhakti inherently in themselves, but somehow you end up connecting them with bhakti. But also, one that's not a, to replace Swarupsida Bhakti, the activities which are inherently Bhakti. Actually, you need to engage in Swarupsida Bhakti so you can engage in Sangha Bhakti. If you don't have proper grounding in the main Bhakti Angas, you won't be able to connect everything else with Bhakti, probably. So, so that will be my answer. And of course, if still one finds 
yeah, man, but this thing is so disturbing. I cannot connect in any way. Probably you may need to leave that, that thing. I'm generally telling in general. I'm not telling you what to do. <laughs> I'm just saying that sometimes in our life, something may, yeah, that may be Krishna inspiring us to engage in a whatever, more direct way to bhakti instead of something that is connected to something that is connected to something that is connected to bhakti. <laughs> Maybe Krishna wants something directly connected to Bhakti and inviting us to be creative. Yeah. And it's difficult, as you say, but again, not impossible. So that's that's a challenge there. No? Okay, so we have been two hours already, so I think we can stop here. You have one question? Okay. This, Question can be small, the answer I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, she said that if by by us praying to Krishna, we can invoke more of his mercy. He has already given mercy, but maybe by praying more mercy can come. <laughs> Of course, I can, as I said before, yeah, we can say, yeah, they, they, always there can be more mercy because Krishna is an ocean of mercy and he's giving mercy and he can give more mercy. But as I said before, we have to be careful what we are doing with the mercy because it's not so much about getting more mercy, but don't knowing what to do with that. No? It's like, it's not the example, but it's like on the material realm, okay, give me more money. And I get $10 billion, but I don't know what to do with them. And I'm just keeping putting them in one room, like one bag, two bags, three bags, one million, two. Give me more, give me more. And they're giving, giving, giving. But I don't have an idea what to do with that. And I'm putting, eventually all that will get ruined and disappears. <laughs> Again, it's not the example, but just to give you an idea. So, yeah, Krishna can always give more mercy. <laughs> But also, we have to become, how to say, trustworthy of that mercy. I mean, he will give mercy if he also knows more and more, if he knows that we will know what to do with that. Because if not, what's the purpose of Because <coughs> mercy means what? Mercy means grace. Mercy means something that I don't deserve. Because what I deserve, that's coming. I don't need to request that to anything, anyone. And mercy is already coming. I don't need to request that to anyone in another sense. Remember, Krishna is made of mercy. But we can pray and request a special further mercy. That There's place for that. But the point is, again, for what? Never as an excuse to, for me not to do my part, so to say. No? Because sometimes we may want, ask for lots of mercy so we, don't, we, we can be lazy, so to say. We don't have to do very much of mercy, mercy. Mm -hmm. Rupa Goswami speaks about those who get liberated by extreme mercy called Kripa Siddhi, which means no sadhana involved, just mercy. Uh, and sadhana siddha, those who attain perfection by practice, which also includes mercy, because we practice by mercy. If there will be, wouldn't be mercy, wouldn't, there wouldn't be sadhana, <laughs> in my case at least. So... Again, we, we, are, we are not here trying to subscribe to the Kripa Siddhi Club. No? Krishna, give me so much mercy so I attain perfection without practicing anything. No? Because 
maybe we won't say it like that, but we'll be asking for so much mercy as a replacement to us doing our sadhana. <laughs> and Krishna says, no, 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 do your I gave you mercy, so now embrace that mercy and transform it in, 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 in sadhana and reciprocate. Okay, we'll stop here. Sri Satchinandan Gaur Hari Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Prabhu Ki Jai, Gaur Bhaktavinda Ki Jai, Gaur Primananda Rivo, Vancha Kalpataru Vishakti Parasindhu Eva Chapati Tanam Pavani Pyu Vaishnavi Pyunamona, Ananta Koti Vaishnavrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Hari Hari Bo.